marketing is about figuring out products and services that people value enough to pay for them and pay it up that you make profit, are satisfied when they get them, and hopefully they buy more in the future. This goes back to the question of what is a CMO and where is the best place to have that function in the company. This is a direct result of how you see marketing. From Orion X, this is The Marketing Podcast. Marketing has transformed in significant ways. More technology, more data, more social, more blending of arts and sciences, more integrated with every other function, and ultimately more critical to the organization. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Garnett as they discuss news and happenings in the world of marketing, from the boardroom to customer programs. Hi, everybody. Marketing Podcast. This is Shaheen Khan with Doug Garnett. Thank you all for being here. Doug, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing much better than I was about a week ago. When I had oh, I'm glad to hear that. But otherwise, I'm doing well this week. Excellent. So as usual, we're going to let you set the agenda. All right. Well, I want to start off with, we got a question from a listener, and it's always really useful to me when we get these because they kind of give this amazing reality to marketing where instead of giving nice, clean, crisp answers, we can all go, huh, yeah, that's tough. So it comes from a listener who's a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, trained up here in Portland at the Northwest University of Naturopathic Medicine. She is a superb practitioner, but she, you know, finds that getting acupuncture customers is tricky. You know, it's difficult to get people uh, to come in. I think primarily something like that is probably a referral business. Where somebody says, hey, I know somebody you should talk to. I know that my wife has uh, been a patient of hers and I have, and we both got to her through a referral like that. But in terms of just going out and getting business, it's tough otherwise for her business, trying to find people who are willing to, and they probably come from a number of places. I mean, people are experienced with acupuncture, looking for a new practitioner, or people just coming into the business, or people with a specific injury-based need at a point in time. But it's tough kind of raising that. I don't know if you have any thoughts there. We'll continue the, the case study in a second. But first I know, of, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> rough, you know. Yeah, and I think case study is a good way of describing these. They do shorten to the ground, so to say. Mm-hmm. So in agreement with you, I think practices that deliver a service, especially kind of a personal service, have a lot riding on them in terms of the credibility of the person involved and the way that the service is packaged and priced. And all of that leads to why it is mostly a matter of referrals, because mm-hmm. then you have that level of trust. So if you get a bunch of customers who come through referrals, that's great. What are you going to do about those who do not get a referral? Mm-hmm. It requires understanding of when somebody makes a referral, what does that do? And can you replicate that right. without that? Well, don't you think that some of what is tough in that referral, I mean, at least that's what I felt in my own business, is that while it can be a great way to get clients, what it doesn't give you is a lever to pull, right? And in marketing, we'd always like to pull a lever and all of a sudden have three more gumballs pop out of the machine, you know, you know, new customers coming in. And when you're dependent on referrals, you don't have that kind of lever. You have to trust, in a sense, the process that the right kind of business will develop. And that's frustrating. And then, you know, a lot of the promise of the web has said, oh, we're going to fix all this. And, you know, it's tough. It's not, not quite so easy. Yeah. When somebody makes a referral, they are imparting trust. Yes. In fact, when my friends want to refer somebody to us, 
Mm-hmm. I always ask them that if you're going to refer somebody to come to us, please do them a favor, not us a favor. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're trying to drum up business for me. You're trying mm-hmm. to get them access to a really great source of services. Mm-hmm. So that to me is the essence of it is therefore how does that trust manifest itself if there is no person making the referral is that your website your digital presence has to come close to that so you mm-hmm. have to explain why you are better where did you study case studies awards anything that reinforces that trust now there's a competitive aspect here is that you don't want to go through all of that only for somebody else to just replicate it Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that adds some complexity. There's a second part to this case study. So listeners, now you get to be surprised. There's a second (laughs) part to this case study, which is really good for us because you and I have done so much talking about the whole of marketing, you know, the four P's, all these roles. So what this doctor of acupuncture has done is she has developed a specialty in ED, erectile dysfunction, and actually offers it packaged. So first of all, what's she done? She's gone back to product, you know, in service, this is the product. So she said, well, there's just generic acupuncture. You know, I need to come in and get some needles to readjust my energy flow and this and that. And that's all really valuable stuff. But that's the stuff that there's no lever to pull to say, how can I get a better, more reliable flow of business? So she's developed this ED practice and then she's gone into packaging with it. And she has packaged it up into a set of appointments. And I believe it is either can be offered in a one-week intensive or over a series of weeks. And I believe it's something like 10 weeks. And instead of charging by the session, she charges a lump sum for the whole treatment. And so people will come in and pay one lump sum for the ED treatment that she offers. And I find it fascinating, first of all, because we need to recognize that is good marketing. That is excellent, yeah. And yes, it is kind of product that she's developed the skills and the understanding in order to have this treatment and has done it enough to know what kind of results it delivers. But also that it is marketing because she is able to put it into a good package. I think obviously the big issue, as I'm sure you're going to say, is like the word acupuncture and ED conjures all sorts of, you know, complexity, let's say. Yeah, Johnson doesn't like needles, you know, I'm just saying. Yes, (laughs) Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and I think that's, yeah, that is absolutely one of the challenges I think she has, which is I've visited with her about what that practice is. And actually, it does not involve needles in any delicate places. What she has done is identified, as I understand it, these points that all affect performance mm-hmm. and that by treating those, she's able to treat the ED without having to go directly to a more invasive treatment. And she gets really good results with it. But that releases a message problem. So tell me about the message problem we got. Yeah. Part of it is that you have to educate the potential audience and then how it's packaged and delivered. But in this case, really needle with any sensitive part of the body is an issue. And of course, the word acupuncture has puncture in it and acu in it and it's needles and you know it's already branded in a challenging way uh-huh and what would you do give me some thought. so so i would i would qualify that brand i would call it indirect acupuncture i would call it no needle acupuncture if that is indeed a valid way of describing it mm-hmm. or some other way of clarifying up front in the name of the practice mm-hmm. in the name of the service mm-hmm. that you rule out the notion of pain and invasive activity. Well, and I do understand that there are other naturopathic treatments that are pretty invasive. 
and painful. And that's one of the reasons that she's pretty optimistic about this being a really good place for her to grow the business. But I think you're right. It's so critical. There has to be some qualifier. What I like in what you suggest is you did not get rid of the word acupuncture. I've fought a lot of battles where people say, oh my God, that's a bad word. So let's rename it. And we're going to call it you know, right, right. Fluff. And it's called the indirect fluff treatment of ED. And all of a sudden, nobody has a clue what you're talking about. Or old um, world uh, remedies, you know, or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> old world remedies for ED, <laughs> which sounds like um, ineffective remedies for ED. So uh, that was. Uh, I mean, you, you could even just say painless acupuncture. If yeah. maybe, because that, if, if the issue is pain, then let's remove that. Right. But right. that may not be believable or may say, well, you know, come on, how can, you know, you, you think it's not pain. So I think it's a bit of a challenge and maybe you need a bit of a focus group to see what mm-hmm. sort of a verbiage resonates. But mm-hmm. I think you want to eliminate that concern way up front in the very first word that you utter. The other thing is in trying to demonstrate good ways to be marketing practitioners, the truth is I don't know this market that well. So what I like to do in a situation like this would be turn and say, okay, this is the challenge, but you know what? You and I aren't the people that know the language options that circle around it. So laying it out, what I've found is somebody in her position will come around and go, oh yeah, I'm going to call it this and discover a really interesting thing that has grist to the bill because it's about that topic and it relates to acupuncture, but it also deals with the, are you going to stick the needles in my Johnson? Yeah, no, I think that's a really complicated and of course interesting case study. Actually, there's one other element to it that I do want to raise, which is she also has a problem that what would most people go out and tell somebody like this? They'd say, well, go do some search engine marketing, get people to come to you. Uh Uh-huh. Who owns the ed search terms these days oh well there's a certain pill that probably owns it yeah blue pill cialis as well you know i mean yeah there's so much money out there that as an individual practitioner it's going to be really hard to break through and the question is how do you break through that which i'm going to use this to transition all right topic two there was a a quote out this week from rory sutherland that says we're so busy asking how social media works how advertising works how digital works that it distracts us from a much more important question which is how do people work and you and i had different reactions to this so there's a valid reaction of yeah that's a little too neat and clean that's not entirely the truth but We've talked a lot about what the truth is behind this, and what occurs to me is the only solution for this ED question and getting good customers in is to figure out how people work. How do you get to the people and find out what makes them tick? Right, right. So, you know, my initial reaction was, as you mentioned, who's we? Because there are a lot of people who are actually not doing that. But if you go past that and you say, okay, what are we really talking about? That's a discussion of the value chain of marketing. Mm -hmm. What do we want? More revenue higher margin. How are we going to get them for the sake of argument? Let's do, you know, event marketing. Well, how do we do event marketing? Well, you need this, that, and the other. So you get pushed upstream Mm -hmm. as you try to get what you really, really want. Mm -hmm. And if you're not careful, then you get isolated from what you really wanted. And then you build a structure and you hire people. And now you have a group that does that. And then before you know it, too much of that activity is lost touch with why we're doing this to begin with. And therefore, you get the issue that he raises. We are too worried about how this particular thing works and not worried about how people work, which is a lot closer to our actual stated upfront goals. That's the discussion in my mind. Oh, I think you're really right. I've often thought lately that we've minimized expertise to being very narrow expertise. 
So when we talk about somebody being an expert these days, we tend to imply that they're a narrow expert. So, well, you know, how are we going to get enough people coming to our event? Go hire the YouTube expert. Well, do we know that YouTube's the effective way to do it? You know, we don't know anything, but the people we hire have narrow expertise. So instead of getting a broad expertise, which is, well, let's figure out what's going to move the people that you want to talk to. We get into that narrow expertise of how do you operate YouTube. I think narrow expertise are fine because kind of by definition, expertise is about what problem you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And if the problem you're trying to solve is this kind of a thing, then you go find the expert that knows how to do that. But you cannot lose touch of what it is you're trying to accomplish, right? You have to remember that the reason why you're doing this is because you want that. And then is this still doing that? Is that mm-hmm. the right way? You know, And if it is, then indeed, absolutely, go find the expert that has a very narrow expertise and does exactly what they need. But it's your job to connect it to everything else that is going to deliver the final stated objective. Yeah, circling back to this question of the ED thing, I think, I mean, the questions I would ask, and I don't know the answers, but it's really to start asking is, at what point will someone make a choice that says, I'm going to investigate acupuncture for ED. So you'd have to start with this question of like, what is it that gets somebody to that point? You know, right. is it influence of a spouse or a partner? Is it their own frustration about this or that? Is it recommendation or you know, referral like we were talking to? Because really we need to understand that decision process and about mm-hmm. how people work. I mean, that's the fundamental. It's not how people work in general, but it's how do people work that affect my business? Right. And if I can't figure out how people work that would get them into my, you know, look seriously at this ED practice, I'm not going to be able to get them in. On the right. other hand, I think that if you're going to fight back against big pharma, we'll go ahead and make them a bad guy, right? Because everybody loves to make them a bad guy. <laughs> to fight back against big pharma when you're the young, the, the small acupuncture practice. In fact, the more you understand about how people work, the more potential you have to fight back against big pharma. Right. Because right. you can oh, find a unique way. Yeah. Also, I think as it relates to things like SEO and branding, the word new is your friend. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you don't go after a term that is already owned by two or three really big companies. You add the word new to it. It's a new solution for Mm -hmm. that problem. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can get any media coverage for it, for example, some case studies for it, for example, even if they're anonymized, then you could add some evidence to it. And that may be the way to do it. So it's painless and it's new, but it is rooted in proven methodologies that would not be a bad way of describing things. Well, I might also say too, and there's something life-changing about it. And so there's also a kind of a, how would you capture what's freshly life-changing in a new way, not simply, now my wife and I are great. You know, um, right, how do you right, find right. a fresh, interesting way for somebody mm-hmm. to observe something that is unique? And uh, Or the other thing you could do is to emphasize that no chemicals are involved. Mm-hmm. For those who really care about what they put in their body, mm-hmm. you can say, here's a solution that does not require a pill. It's yeah. a no-pill solution, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, I mean, after all, the pills have a real downsides. There are definite side effects from what I hear to some of the pills. So That adds another dimension. Yeah. 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 Should we go to a news item? Yep. News item. News item. Ding, ding, ding. We need a ticker tape, kind of like sound <laughs> in the background. 
Sound effects. Sound effects. That's actually what I want from Twitter, you know, because I look at Twitter's like a twi- like a ticker tape. You know, you're reading the ticker tape for the day and seeing what all your contacts have put out. But uh, there was an announcement recently from Lowe's, and you know, I spent eight years doing marketing work and advertising work for Lowe's, so this is one I know kind of well. And it's interesting because the headline, the top line, is that Lowe's existing CMO is leaving, but the CMO they bring in is going to report to merchandising. So they're moving the CMO out of a separate department and putting marketing under under merchandising. And at Lowe's, merchandising means the buyers. So the people who are responsible for stocking products into departments and what's the mix and curating and then delivering the sales and sell-through um, required in each department. What do you think? Right. I think this goes back to the question of what is a CMO and mm-hmm where is the best place to have that function in the company? And I think this is a direct result of what problem you're trying to solve and how do you see marketing? If you see marketing as creators of collateral, you Mm -hmm. put it somewhere. If you see it as advertising, that's it, you put it somewhere. And where you put it almost betrays what problem you are trying to solve. So if you're putting marketing under merchandising, it's very clear that what you want marketing to do is to help merchandising be more effective. It's all about drive sell-through. Well, yeah, and actually in the article, uh, one of the quotes was that a decade ago, it was the norm organization for many grocery brands and that because marketing was seen as weekly promotions in print circulars. There you go. You know, that was a big deal. I worked with Lowe's around their print circulars. I worked with them with a lot of the retailers and they tended to drive so much business. They were a very, very heavy focus. And in fact, all the retailers have some struggle because now that newspaper print circulars have diminished, they haven't found a really clear replacement for them. So the loss of print circulars as a way to drive business is, is a problem. So maybe that contributes to it. I'm not sure. It may. It could very well be that somebody wants the good old days back and say, yeah. you know, when mm-hmm. marketing was under merchandising, life was good. The mm-hmm. danger with that is that it removes diversity in the marketing mix. And if the vehicle that you're, you know, if 90% of your marketing is X and then that X stops working, you have nothing. And if you have diversity in your marketing mix, then you can absorb any sort of change a lot better. Mm-hmm. If uh, merchandising, if circulars don't work, you've got SEO. And if SEO doesn't quite do it, you've got this and that, the other, yeah. right? So that is really the big challenge. And, mm-hmm. and that's also why those who can afford it, those who can see the bigger picture, recognize that marketing, as Regis McKenna said 30 years ago, marketing is everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not easy and it's not yeah. easy yeah yeah i mean as you're talking with, through that i guess what really strikes me is that in this case i fear for lows because a choice like this is a short-term choice right i mean it, it focuses on short-term sales get all the goods out of the department you know sell through don't have too much inventory and those are all key issues they're not unimportant business issues but what it doesn't do is prepare for the future um, yeah, exactly. It scares me for them. And I've seen some mistakes made over the past five years with, uh, for example, their relationship with Craftsman has cluttered their department, their tool department, which used to have a pretty clear focus of major brands and their internal Cobalt brand, except now they kind of have Craftsman as a internal brand in addition to Cobalt. And 
you know, customers don't know what to make of that, that kind of stuff. So it reminds me of those kind of choices that are very short term and not going to build what they want to be in the long run. Exactly. I call it the I'm feeling lucky strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So uh, I like that. Well, this is related to another topic we were talking about. God, did we do a great job of making sure everything connected? Wow. Yeah, the segues are really good today, Doug. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's our other topic? Why don't you give it? Why don't you give us our other topic? Well, this one is about the news items that we keep seeing about how everybody builds stuff without marketing. Yeah. And that finally compelled Kirsty to say, that's it. I'm going to write about this. And right. we're very happy that she did. Yes. So mm-hmm. she wrote a very nice article that demonstrates how folks who didn't do it with marketing, actually did do it with marketing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so there's that thread. Yeah. She was looking, especially there's been a lot of claims about Tony's Chocolonely chocolate, about how it was built without marketing. And she has a brilliant section in her article about, yeah, here's why that's BS. You know, product right. and packaging is brilliant. And she walks through a whole set of price and placement, promotion, all the fundamental roles of marketing. So this claim they didn't use marketing, it may not have come out of marketing department, but they did great marketing. Well, exactly. I think a big piece of the puzzle is exactly that, is that most people who say I did something without X, they really are saying, look how good I am at X. (laughs) (laughs) That is is exactly it. Yeah. Uh And, you know, my title was an X, but look, I killed it. Okay, great. You did, but you're probably one of the few who can do this and can do that too. But if you want to do it at scale, if you want to do it predictably, if you want to have, you know, then it can't work. And as she also indicates, and we've talked about that in this podcast in the past, if you're Tesla and you think you did it without marketing. Well, that's because you hired a celebrity called your CEO yeah, mm-hmm. who did the work for you, except that they're also an employee. So if you have a celebrity employee, well then... Yeah, you don't have to spend on media money, but you spent... Well, on- you do, but you do it in a different way. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so I'm like reading that article. And then at one point it says... Quote, while there's not one definition of marketing, the American Marketing Association defines it as, another quote, get ready for this, the activity, set of institutions and processes for creating, communicating, delivering, and exchanging offerings that have value for customers, clients, partners, and society at large, full stop, end quote, end quote. And I read that and I said, yeah. If you recall, my DM to you was that, is it just me? Am I missing something here? Or is that really not a great, I mean, for an organization that's got marketing as its middle name, yeah. I would have expected a rendition that was a little bit more user-friendly because I could not even remember how the sentence started by the time I... <laughs> well, and I personally love exchange offerings. Well, I guess we don't sell products or services anymore. We exchange offerings. Well, offerings is a... Yeah, I think the offering actually was their attempt to shorten the sentence by saying that if I just call it offering, then it includes products and services and others. Yeah. And then, you know, it's not just buy and sell. It's kind of exchange. So I think that part of it is an indication that they actually try to minimize the number of words here. Mm-hmm. But boy, this is like really clunky in my mind. Or is it well, just I'll me? tell you, I write into this all the time. The book that I teach my intro to marketing class from, and the book is generally pretty good. But when they talk about what's marketing about, this is what they use. They use this quote from AMA. 
and I don't. I step back and I tell students, you know, kind of just get away from that. This is not what marketing is about. That marketing is about figuring out products and services that people value enough to pay for them and pay enough that you make profit and that enough people value them to pay enough so that you make profit and that are satisfied when they get them and hopefully they buy more in the future. And that, that, you know, marketing is this whole cycle of how do you make things happen? I think part of what bothers me here is it's such a passive statement. Too, you know, marketing is is an action oriented world. But I was I actually I posted yesterday on Twitter this rather arcane article by uh, Brian Arthur, who's an economist. But he says one of the problems in economics and the reason the equation based approach is missed so much is that variables and equations are nouns; they're not active. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is that in economics, you might have company X sells a product Y, except the value that company X brings to it is the process of creating Y. And so you have in your equation, nothing to represent process of creating the product. And I think that this is part of it here. This isn't an active thing. This isn't about marketers making a difference in the world and marketers you know, challenging and getting stuff to customers they want to buy. This is about, I don't know, some academic definition. <laughs> this feels like you're trying to write laws. Yes. <laughs> and this is a great example of losing touch with what we're trying to do here. But maybe, maybe if you're trying to write laws, then this is the way to go. If you're trying to be kind of mathematically correct and cover all the different bases, then you have to say, and this and that. And, you know, by the way, that too. But what it doesn't do is do what marketing really should do, which is go after the sweet spot. Define mm-hmm. it in a way that is understandable right. and trust that your customers will infer the surrounding area. So, mm-hmm. and I will offer my definition. I think marketing is about connecting products to customers and accelerating the sales cycle mm-hmm. and shortening that distance. So, well, and I think it may be too that we really need whatever our definition of marketing is. First of all, it has to have the idea of selling in it, you know, shorten the sales cycle. We got to. Sell. I mean, that's really what we're about. It looks like they were working really hard over at the AMA not to use the word sell. Because um, <laughs> they need alignment with the American Sales Organization. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We were going to lose that. Uh, lose that. But I, I actually I liked your first comment when we were in the pre-show when we were discussing this, that this also looks like something from a committee. Brainless as so much committee work is. It does um, have a very committee-like feel to it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But I will tell you, in academia, there actually is a fair amount of pressure to ignore selling at some level. And I don't know exactly where it comes from. I think, you know, I don't have problems with wokeness and all that and like, but on the other hand, there are times I feel like you do get some feedback that companies don't sell. They exist and customers subsume their product. Well, come on. No, no, that's not the way. No, no, no. You know, the other angle we talked about what is marketing in general is are we appropriating other actions under marketing just to expand the definition of marketing? And there were a couple of tweet exchanges along those lines. I'm going to go build a product and price it and sell it. And I don't really need a marketing department to do that. Mm -hmm. Are you calling those things marketing just to appropriate my activities as marketing? Is that what's going on? My answer to that is back to what do you need to get from marketing? And Mm -hmm. if it's a small scale, limited, you got it right, that's great. Whether or not 
you call it marketing. It was done and it was done well, but now try to do it in a predictable way, in a big way, in multiple geographies, in multiple product segments. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, that needs to become a discipline and call it what you want. But that discipline has a lot to do with a lot of other things that are part of connecting products to customers and, yeah. you know, marketing. And that's why it's called marketing, not because we want to say, ooh, that activity looks kind of juicy. Let's call it marketing. And I thoroughly agree. I mean, as we talked ahead of time, you know, that story from Graham Greene, I think does apply here in a slightly obscure way, mm. which is that Graham Greene, famous author, he published 20, 30 books, bestseller, really great, gets onto a subway in London. A woman gets on and she turns to her friend and she's all excited because her first book has been picked up by a publisher. Wow. And she is enthusiastic and happy and bubbly. And Graham Greene looks at her, and, and as he tells the story, he just thinks, boy, those were fun days. Because mm-hmm. as a successful author, he doesn't get to just throw a book out there to see if anybody wants to publish it for him. He has to go into the publisher with a book that he believes will be a bestseller, that they'll sell so many millions of copies. It'll hit the New York Times bestseller list. His obligations are different. And I think marketers have that obligation. I mean, a lot of people can come in and do some things that are marketing and no problem with that. But when you take on the responsibility of a client saying, okay, here's what we need to have happen. Can you make that happen? You bring to it, you have a whole different set of responsibility. And I think that that's what makes marketers great. Yeah, right on. The ultimate is that here's my business problem. Mm-hmm. There is a marketing mix that can accelerate the solution. What are you going to do? That's why you always go back to what problem are you trying to solve through Mm -hmm. marketing? Are you trying to enhance merchandising? Are Mm -hmm. you trying to change the identity of your company? What are you trying to accomplish? Because Mm -hmm. depending on what you do, there are different marketing vehicles to solve it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think back to the product one, because I do know, I mean, I hear a lot of that where, you know, engineers say, yeah, but we know how to make products. But the catch is, even in a product world, the problem isn't, can you make a product? The problem is, our company needs a product that'll generate $10 million in sales in the first two years. I need the team to find that product, productize it, get it manufactured, and put it in the market. Who should do that? Well, you need marketers and you need engineers and designers. And they all need to work together. And so any idea of the engineering that, well, we just make a perfect product and everything else is solved, which I do hear that people still kind of trot that mythology out, is complete bupkis, you know. I was looking for a good word there. We had (laughs) Johnson in the beginning, so here we're going to go with bupkis. Um, That's a good one. You know, it's it's tricky, you know. I mean, that takes real sophistication. Mm. And I've watched these really brilliant interactions between product and marketing people that all anybody cares about is achieving what their job is to do. Mm -hmm. And they each bring stuff to the problem. It's not a competition. It's a we're working at it together, but we have to respect that there's a lot that goes into making up brand new product that's going to sell $10 million Mm -hmm. in two years. You know, along those lines, one thing that we used in one of my previous lives was we used to have a product boundary condition. And it was very, very useful to say that Mm -hmm. this product needs to come out in this time frame with these Mm -hmm. kinds of specifications at this price Mm -hmm. with this level of quality. Mm -hmm. So the PRD, the product requirements document that would follow the market requirements document would have a boundary condition to it. Mm-hmm. And if it looked like you are breaching those boundary conditions, that was a trigger to see whether you should continue with the project, abandon it, 
or you should make up for that breach through additional investment. Mm-hmm. A very, very useful thing to do for product management. Yeah. And I, I mean, it was in there, but I'm going to stress, I've had a great many problems where price goes out of control after the product gets to engineering. Yes. And, uh, and I'll tell you, because there are some fuzzy choice architectures in engineering around ideas like this level of quality, and they generally have been around expected levels of quality. That, right. Uh, and honestly, I think it's kind of hard. It takes a unique engineer to say, you know what? This doesn't have to be built, you know, like the Rosetta Stone to last for 2,000 years or 4,000 years or whatever it is. This has a specific life and a specific duty, and I wanted to do that well. And if I do that well, I'm happy because that's really an engineering success. But mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's hard. I think a lot of engineers don't quite have that love of. You know, I had an engineering group report to me for a while, and I spent a good amount of time trying to understand why projects are delayed mm-hmm. or don't meet this, that, and the other. And I tell you, my conclusion was that almost all possibilities led to management being the problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> not the engineers. Good and point. I think the problem in this case is probably because engineering management has failed to describe what it is we're trying to accomplish and why. Right. Because if you are talking to highly technical, highly proud people mm-hmm. who want to do a good job, you have to be able to explain why we are going to do it this way. We're not doing it because we want to be shoddy. We're doing right. it because we're trying to meet this market window at this price, at this quality. And this is what the customer actually wants. So I think if you manage to do that, then you can get a lot better alignment. I think that is true. There's so many times that the engineer, and I think we discovered that the engineer on the front line knows, but engineering management gets caught up in a whole set of other issues that are you know beyond what the front line engineer knows. So let's conclude this episode. Thank you. I keep enjoying them a lot. And to our wonderful listeners, I hope you enjoy them half as much as we do. Really- and uh <laughs> This time, Doug gave you a whole bunch of fodder to create jokes if you'd like. So share yeah. them with us on Twitter. <laughs> Fill the thread with all sorts of euphemisms. We'd be great with euphemisms. And uh, we won't talk about sticking the landing. But Shaheen, thanks for the great discussion. All right. Take care, everybody. Until next time. Thank you, Doug. That's it for this episode of The Marketing Podcast. Every episode is posted on orionx.net and shared on social media. Use the comments section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Marketing Podcast is a production of Orion X. Thank you for listening.